Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with Lonnie Phillips, Chief Customer Officer at Fanatics, and excited to be a part of the University of Florida Sports Management, uh, Sports Business Insights Series uh, from Gator Nation. So, Lonnie, let's just start with your time in Gainesville. Um, and, you know, unlike most who are in the sports industry, you had a really unique career path um, going into the Navy for, you know, 20 plus years. And uh, we'll, we'll dive into that in a minute. But uh, your time in Gainesville, what was that like? That was awesome. So, yeah, my my path was super unique. I, I joined the Navy right out of high school. I spent six years in the Navy and uh, while I was in the Navy, I went to school at night and, and earned an associate's degree. And then I picked up this program in the Navy where they paid me to go finish my degree. So I got to go back uh, to the University of Florida and spent about two and a half years there finishing my undergrad degree. And then uh, when I did graduate uh, at Florida, I went and I was a pilot in the Navy, did a bunch of years and uh, was able to come back and get my master's uh, at Florida and teach ROTC. So out of a 20-year Navy career, I spent uh, just about six of it at the University of Florida. So um, I loved it. Uh, everything about it, I, my wife and I were talking about it last night, you know, at both, both of my stints. Uh, it's crazy that I, you know, I would go to school and then I'd play, you know, four different intramural sports. So I'd run from field to field playing a different sport. Um, I had joined a fraternity. I was with Delta Tau Delta. So I did a lot of fraternity activities. And I, I would say I, I got the full education while I was at Florida, not just uh, degrees, for sure. Well, education is something that uh, no one can take away from you. So uh, That's right. certainly certainly a, a, a piece of, you know, kind of your path. And um, talk a little bit about your experience post the Navy, uh, going to Amazon and then uh, everything else from there. Yeah, it was really unique. Uh, when, I, when I was retiring, my goal was uh, to use my sport management degree and, and to go to a, I was thinking a small kind of D3 school and, and get in their athletic department and eventually work my way up to be a kind of a D3 athletic director. I thought that would be the pinnacle and a dream come true. And uh, as I was retiring and I started applying at all these schools, I couldn't get anyone to even return a call or an email. Um, I, you know, I tried to play the sympathy card, retiring Navy veteran had served in multiple wars and they'd all say, we thank you for your service, but we have nothing here. And I'd say, you know, I, I'll come put cones out on the football field. Like I, I'll bet on my skill set that I'll do well, like just give me a shot. And, and no one would. And uh, I had this recruiter reach out to me and said that Amazon was looking for people to work in a warehouse uh kind of you know managers and leaders and i was at the time i was like man i don't want to work in a warehouse it doesn't sound appealing to me uh leaving the navy i didn't picture that but since nobody else will will even give me an interview i'll at least go for the interview experience and uh, i went to interview and i fell in love uh, with amazon like the pace of the building the people the energy uh they had this this really tangible purpose which was the focus on a customer uh, which kind of aligned with, you know, in the military, you have a really tangible focused mission, which is, you know, kind of the freedom of the country. So it all aligned really well. So I, I went to work for them and, and had a really successful career and just kind of fell in love with, with e-commerce um, along the way. I spent a little over six years with them and had multiple promotions and, uh, you know, it opened up this opportunity at Fanatics. 
and, and obviously the e-commerce space continuing to grow, um, you know, and, and the, the future of it is, is truly endless. Um, but there's so much that goes into it. I mean, you were talking about your experience at Amazon where, uh, you're part of, you know, a 20,000 employee kind of, uh, cycle, if you want to call it that, right. Of, of okay. a lot of different moving parts. And then, you know, you, you talk about fanatics and, um, you, you know, the humongous facility that you have in, in Jacksonville and, and just how that all operates. Um, can you talk a little bit about just the operational aspect of it and, and how many people you have to kind of herd going in the right direction, uh, as you mentioned, from a purpose standpoint? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, um, what makes e-commerce, at least in, in, in the e-commerce that I've experienced, both at Amazon and Fanatics, unique is that you do close to 60% of your business in, in Q4, really in November and December. Uh, so the volumes increase by seven to 10 X, which means that you have to scale your people by seven to 10 X. So, you know, a building that might run with a couple hundred employees uh, from January to October is going to run with, you know, 1500 to 2000 employees. Uh, and you don't add any leadership. So there, there's these two challenges you're faced. Well, one is, is how do you develop your leaders throughout the year so that they can scale to lead these larger organizations? And then how do you build a culture amongst your full-time employees that as you bring these people that are coming off the street, who, who are coming, who may not have long-term intentions, they might just be looking for a paycheck during the holiday, but how do you get them to buy into your culture, which is you know this passion for the customer um, in a short amount of time so that they do come to work, which is really important, and that they put forth an effort that allows them to, you know, allows you to be a highly efficient organization so you don't have to hire even more people. And um, that's the challenge. There's, you know, there's so many moving parts and process and challenges, but it really, at the end of the day, it comes down to people and how do you get people, um, you know, motivated and bought in to deliver for the customer. And we say here at Fanatics, you know, it's, we want to make sure we put the right thing in the right box at the right time, uh, that's critical. You have a, you know, I'll hire 7,000 people this year. Uh, you know, at, at Amazon, we'd hire several hundred thousand people at peak and you have to get them to be just as passionate about the right thing in the right box at the right time as, as you are. Well, when you talk about the people business, we are in the people business, right? And uh, whether it's serving the customer or all the back end work to eventually serve the customer, um, you know, the people skills aspect of it is so crucial. Uh, and when you mm -hmm. think about, you mentioned leading, you know, an organization from scale, right? Going from a couple hundred to a couple thousand. What are a couple of the things that leaders listening to this right now could learn from your operation of how you try and cultivate that leadership culture? Yeah, it's a really good question. <clears throat> I think you could, you could talk to anybody in my organization and they would, they would tell you, um, this thing I call the three P's, which is a passion for people and process. Uh, I think this applies anywhere and anybody who's, whether you're in a leadership role or not, but it's if you can bring a passion for people and process to work every single day, you'll be successful. And what I mean by passion is slightly different than what people might think. So a lot of people hear that word passion and they think, oh, I got to be an extrovert and I have to be a cheerleader and I have to have a loud voice and all these types of things. And that's not the case for me. For me, passion is, um, I always say everybody has this personal life at home with uh, a lot of struggles. And some of those struggles are small and some of those struggles are significant. It could be as simple as you have 
a sick dog and it could be as severe as you have a, a terminally ill parent, but you have something in your personal life that's weighing on you significantly. And I say the passion piece of this is when you come to work, wherever you work, are you able to compartmentalize that personal struggle in a way um, that you can give your best self at work? Now, first of all, like whatever's going on in your personal life is far more important than anything that we're doing at work. But it's that ability. You have a passion for the place that you work that you're able to compartmentalize that. And then when you interact with a person, that person feels like they're the most important thing in your life and the most important thing going on in your in that moment. So it's eye contact and it's posture and it's listening and it's solving problems and you're, you're doing those things. So I say, if you can take that passion and you apply it to the people, the people that you lead will follow you because they feel valued and important and part of this. And if you can also apply that same passion for whatever process you lead or manage or support, can you make it, are you trying to make that process 1% better every single day? And I have a team of people that that's what they do. They come to work every day with this passion for people and process. And I think it just, um, you know, it, it, people feed off of that. The operation feeds off of it and um, it allows them to be successful, allows us to be very successful, successful. No, I love hearing that. I feel like you could just mic drop with that and the episode would be done. Three, <laughs> three P's and, and you're off and running, right? Um, that's right. That's you, right. You know, with, with your experience though, you know, coming from a unique different background where you were in, uh, like you said, Amazon and, and the Navy where it's, that's, that's not what people think about when they think about sports business, right? So now you're in the sports world where, you know, you're talking about serving fans and being able to serve your customers in a totally different way than we'll call it most organizations in the sports world are able to serve people, right? Usually it's mm -hmm. uh, putting on an event, right? For people to attend or uh, the broadcast, or, I mean, you've got the retail and the licensing piece, but it touches fans in ways that others can't. Yeah, it really does. I mean, first of all, you know, what makes this thing different is, is uh, sports fans are passionate about their teams. Uh, you know, at an Amazon, you know, people care about the things they're ordering. They might be, they need toilet paper and they need paper towels and those things, or they need a, a new golf club or whatever it might be. Um, but it doesn't carry the passion that it does um, in this licensed sports space. So it's, it's critical that, um, that you get it to them on time and that you communicate with them effectively and that, and that you care just as much as they care about what they're doing about you know their team and whatever it might be i think what makes you know fanatics extremely unique from kind of maybe other people in the sports world is sports as you know is highly dynamic you know the the player that's great this week may not be great next week they might be injured or what they might be in a slump um the team that's you know great this week may not be great next week or year to year and it it changes and it's so dynamic and typically in, in, in sports, especially in the retail sector, you know, companies have to take big bets early in the year. Like you're kind of betting this year, the chiefs are going to be great again when the NFL launches. So you're, 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 you're buying a, a lot of merchandise. Um, the advantage we have at fanatics is we have this big vertical engine. So, you know, we're making a lot of our products so we don't have to take these big bets on merchandise. Um, and, and we can, 
develop and design and manufacture kind of on demand. Um, so you obviously will have stuff that's on the shelf, but then it allows you if, uh, you know, Cleveland Browns were terrible last year and they start the year off, we know how Cleveland Brown fans are and they go 12 and 0, you won't be able to buy that product anywhere, but Fanatics will be able to make it and make it on demand and it has a rapid turn time. So I think that's what makes us unique is that, um, you know, we are kind of the, we understand the pulse of the fan, the passion of the fan, and then we can deliver for the fan when there's these, what we call a micro moment, you know, a player goes off in a, spe in a specific game and they get hot or a team becomes uh, hot that was unexpected. Well, and you, and you mentioned that uniqueness, which is certainly um, a, a quality in which has separated yourself from the field, right, in your world. But mm -hmm. what goes on behind that, right? You, you mentioned to be able to create something or design something on demand. I mean, that's not just one person doing that. That's a whole no. team. I mean, just give us a, a quick insight into what that's like in the process. It's a, a, as you, as you know, it's an army of people, um, everyone from the, the person sourcing the thread uh, for the garment to the factory that we're going to use to the, uh, to the person that's developing the art and getting the approval from the leagues um, all the way through to the merchandisers that are, that are, that are buying the right kind of um, designs and graphics to the marketers that are marketing this correctly you know we have a massive kind of quant marketing team that really uses analytics our merchandising team is full of data folks that use analytics um, that's a big part of what we do and then it kind of feeds its way through to obviously the operators then that are that are either manufacturing product on demand or they're the ones that have have kind of manufactured it further upstream to the operators that are then fulfilling that order they're pick packing and shipping it to the customer and then there's the the last step in the process, which is our customer service team that then has to interact with the fan when, you know, the fan has questions or something didn't go right um, along the way. And that service piece, that service word is so crucial, right? And, and uh, I'll point out that the, the word customer is in your title, right? So mm -hmm. um, yeah. that shows how important it is to not only your organization, but um, with anything we're doing in this people business, right? The service piece is so crucial you can make the best product there is no demand but if your service sucks you, you know right. per, that, that customer is not coming back right, right. so um, talk to us a little bit about the just the service component kind of you know I don't know if there's a, a tagline that you use or, or anything that kind of really stands out about how you think about service in your organization but just something that uh, is maybe a little bit unique to you guys yeah, I think, uh, I wouldn't say this is unique, but something that we strive for is we try to create a frictionless experience for the customer. So, you know, there's a couple ways of going about that. One is how much of the process can you automate? If you think about uh, when you go to the airport, most people don't really want to go to the desk agent to get their tickets, right? They just want to go to the kiosk and do it themselves and then head to their gates. Uh, people like that kind of experience. So are there things we can do on the front end that when a customer has a question, we can answer their question and interact with them in an automated way. So we have a, what we call a, a chat bot and a chat bot can answer very basic questions for you. If you want to know where your order is or the status of your return or whatever it might be. And that way you don't interact with anybody and you get your answers kind of real time and quickly. So I think that creates a frictionless experience for the customer. Then if they do have to talk to an agent, um, it's have you 
have you um, adequately equipped your agents, your call center agents, so that they can answer the questions the first time and resolve it the first time? Ultimately, your goal is what we call first contact resolution. The person only has to call you once and you've not only resolved that issue, but you've kind of thought forward of any other potential issues and you've tried to answer that one as well so they don't have to call back. Um, that's obviously utopia um, to get there. You know, you still struggle in that space, but that's ultimately for me, it's like, how do we create these frictionless experiences for the consumer? Because everybody is busy and they have a million things going on. And the last thing they want to do is spend a bunch of time on their computer or on their phone, just trying to find out where their, their Brady Jersey is in the process. I can think back to when uh, the COVID process started and you had to wait, you know, over 16 hours or whatever it was to sp to speak with an, you know, a, a plane agent. Right. And just, yeah. just like thinking about that, right. Probably makes people cringe and that's right. You have to wait that's 16 right. hours to talk about your Brady Jersey in Tampa. Yeah. You're probably going to lose that customer more yeah. or less. Um, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Because if you think about it, we are, you know, we're in essence, we're battling for share of wallet for somebody, right? If, they, if a person has a finite amount of money that they're going to spend, what are they gonna spend it on? And if they step out and they trust us and they buy that Brady jersey and we let them down, or not only we let them down, but then it's a painful experience to, um, to resolve an issue or return the product or exchange the product, whatever it might be, the next time they go to spend that $100 or whatever it is, they probably are gonna think twice and go, you know what, the Brady jersey's not worth it, I'd rather go get this, you know, whatever it might be. And now you've kind of lost that consumer, um, potentially for life. And lifetime value is, as you know, doing this is super important because the, the cost of acquisition is so high for us that um, if you can continue to get people to repeat uh, purchase, you lower that cost of acquisition. Absolutely. Uh, and as you mentioned, the passion in, behind sports fans, when they start real young, right, if you can kind of, I mean, you talk about the life cycle of a, of a customer, I mean, if you start someone at seven, eight years old going to one site and they continue, you know, that for their life, right? Imagine right. all their, their different touch points and their tent poles to people that are in their network as well, right? That's a, that's a great one, Jake, is you think about we're in such a different era than you probably were eight years ago and that, and that social media plays such a big part of this. And you, you mentioned this kind of tentacles. It's, you know, if a person has this negative experience, um, it's not just them anymore. Like they, they share that experience. And when they share that experience, people quickly jump on and they can start to say, you know what, I didn't have a great experience either. And now you now that one becomes two and two become 20. And then a person is coming to shop with you and they go look at your social handles and they're like, wow, like this company's terrible. Like there's nothing but negative, there's negative comments in here. Um, and it's difficult as a chief customer officer because every single customer matters. But when you're, you're shipping 30 million packages a year, inevitably you're going to get it wrong. Even if you're wrong 1% of the time, you know, you're, you're, you're st thousands and thousands of customers that you're, you're negatively impacting that then are talking to thousands and thousands of customers that um, make it really difficult. And a lot of times, once a person has a bad experience, they don't come back. Yeah, you talked about that that first impression, and and that goes without saying for anything, right? The, whether you walk into a restaurant, whether you walk, you know, to your Starbucks. I mean, Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts, right? Everyone's got their everyone's got their argument of where they go from a customer standpoint. That's right. Um, yeah, I tell you, I, you mentioned uh, like so. My first Florida football game as a as a student, like I went early on as a kid, but when I 
I went to the University of Florida. I think our first game, this is a Spurrier era, was against uh, like New Mexico State. And I think we put like 80 or 90 points on the board. It was like 80 something to 10. Um, you're at that point, you're a lifelong fan. Like they, they would never let me down. Like they started me off on a high note. Had I gone to the University of Florida in the first game, you know, we got beat like that. I don't know that I'd have as much passion and zeal for the University of Florida. It would just be my school. I wouldn't be as passionate about the football program. Sure. They had me. They had me at 89 or whatever the, the total was. <laughs> well, and, and then you hope that they can put those points up every single game and then you, you get that's right. down in the sense of uh, that's, right. that's not going to happen against Alabama, right? But, yeah. uh, you know, when you, when you talk about the experience, right, you talked about, you know, going to a game or the fan in a variety of ways, not only is it domestic, but it's international as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's right. this whole, <laughs> I mean, when you think about if you're, if you're the Miami Marlins, you know, more or less you're marketing to the fans that are in that greater Miami area, you know, greater South Florida area. There's obviously going to be fans that maybe come down during the summer for some different homestands, but you're not necessarily marketing international to all the other countries, but in your world, you have to, right? Because there's fans everywhere. So talk a little bit about kind of just that, that concept of, I mean, it's so vast. How do you wrap your head around all the different fans, the markets, the, I mean, the, the languages, I mean, everything. Yeah, it's really challenging because you know that um, in every local market, there's something that's unique to that market that you would need to be local to understand. And it, it's an area that, that we have been challenged with. There was a, t- a time where we thought we needed to have people that really understood the individual markets at scale. Um, so that they could create unique designs um, and unique um, apparel and merchandise. But I think what, we've, what we have found over time is that um, fans will always kind of come back to kind of the basic um, kind of designs and graphics and what appeals to, you know, the, the Yankees fan in New York also appeals to the Yankees fan in um, North Dakota, um, the same kind of stuff. So you don't need to have these unique pieces. But this, this international marketing effort is, um, is it's, it's a challenge in the sense of how do you get the right product in your assortment for their eyes to see? Um, you know, an example is in the UK, customers in the UK for their teams, um, they really care about the kit, the jersey. They don't really care about fan gear. In the U.S., it's a little different. Like, people do care about fan gear. They, they like hats and T-shirts and hoodies that represent their team. So it's understanding, like, cultural differences where you're at. So you make sure your assortment is correct. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the global appeal of our U.S. leagues helps us tremendously. So the, the NFL playing multiple games in the U.K. is, in essence, a kind of a marketing engine for us because the fan sees the – um, the Jaguars playing every year. So they, they go to our site, international site, and they're looking for Jaguars. So it, it doesn't take a lot of kind of, you know, uh, marketing effort in that sense. No, that makes sense. And when you, when you think about your experience uh, at Amazon from a true just business standpoint, what's maybe one thing that surprised you about the sports industry as a whole or, you know, the sports fan as you started to get into this, this area of the business? Um, and ultimately, as you've, you know, continued to grow with the company. 
Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think it's the, uh, the challenge to be predictive in nature. Uh, so when I was at Amazon, um, it was pretty easy um, to kind of predict what sales were going to be and what, what product you needed and what fulfillment center and what part of the country, um, because you had enough analytics to help you do that. Um, you know, come to Fanatics and we're just as analytical as we were at Amazon. <laughs> the difference is the variability of the product that you're selling, which is, like I said, it's the, the players and the teams and, and what's going on. I remember, um, I don't know when it was, maybe my second year with the company, uh, there's this guy plays a uh, linebacker for the Cowboys Van, Vander Ursh, I think is his name. You know, he played like in a little nine, nine aside college or something. He gets picked up by the Cowboys and he has this massive game and his Jersey goes off the charts, becomes the number one selling Jersey. You could have never predicted that in a million years with a hundred data scientists, right? They just have no idea. So you just have to be, I think that is what surprised me the most is like, just how variable uh, our company is. But then the, the thing that made me excited was how fast we can pivot and adjust and satisfy that demand with the consumer. Um, you're not just kind of sitting there going, wow, I wish we would have known. Like we're a really kind of action oriented company and this vert, like I said, this vertical engine we have, the ability to manufacture on demand really puts us in a great spot to, to service that unplanned demand, if you will. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, you know, you think about the, the various stories, right? The, the teams, you know, the underdogs, I, I think about the, and it had to have been like three or four, maybe five years ago, I think it was Leicester City, right? They won mm -hmm. yeah. for like the first time ever. And that's right. That's right. I mean, like that type of story, right? You can't predict no chief yeah. scouting officer is going to, you know, pick that one out of their, their no hand. And, and then to your point, you got to turn around quickly and maximize revenue. So That's the right. last thing is, as we wrap up this episode, from a maximizing revenue standpoint, what are some of the factors that really play into it in terms of, you know, when that situation happens, right? How do you maximize the opportunity uh, and make sure that you can capitalize as much as possible? Yeah, I think for us is that we plan. We plan for the unplanned. Um, you know, we have this, we, I, I've been with Fanatics for six years now, and most of our team has kind of been together for six years. And we've been through a lot of fires and a lot of trials. You know, you think about um, the year that LeBron and the Cavs came back from, you know, down 3-1 uh, to win the championship that is against all odds. Um, you know, it's, I, I think for us, it's, have we done all the pre-work? Like we go, we develop the product um, and the product is on ready regardless of who's going to win, we're ready to start manufacturing right away. Um, you know, another one was uh, Brady against the Falcons. I think they're down by 23, right, in the third quarter. And, you know, most companies would have started printing Falcons gear because there's no chance for them to come back. But we don't because we know the speed of our engine and how fast it can churn out product. And then I think it's um, – you, you want to capture and like a hot, we call that a hot market, a championship. You want to capture that demand within the first 24 to 48 hours, because as you know, the kind of the passion wears off. So that's where we grab it. So I think it's like your communication on the front end has to be highly accurate. So a person can come on and they can buy that, that Patriot Super Bowl t-shirt or that Cavaliers NBA championship t-shirt 
but we're clear to say this product's going to ship in 48 hours. Um, and then, you know, you're going to choose the delivery method. So I think if you're upfront and honest with the consumer, you can capture that demand because it's, Hey, okay, I'm going to buy it, but I'm not going to get it for five or six days. I think if you weren't as honest and transparent, um, people might buy and you might capture the demand, but then they would quickly realize they're not getting it as fast as they thought. And then they're going to cancel that order and you've lost that demand and you've lost that customer or that fan for life as well. So I think it's about um, the preparation for the unexpected. And then it's the really clear and concise communication to the customer on the front end um, so that we kind of meet all the wickets and capture as much demand as possible. Well, you came from Amazon where now there's same day shipping. So you're, uh, con you're constantly competing with something like that. Yeah, you know, what's interesting we found, Jake, is over the years, you know, we do tons of data. So when I got here, I thought that was the case. I thought we have to get as fast as Amazon and we need to speed our shipping up. And as you know, that's, that's a really costly um, evolution, if you will. So that's why a lot of companies just can't keep up with Amazon. But what we found out about our fans, when we started to look at repeat rates for the customer is um, whether you delivered in two days or five days, the repeat rates were kind of unchanged for the consumer. It's as long as you at least communicate on the front end, people understood. So I think the difference is at Amazon, you're ordering stuff that you do need. Typically you do need toilet paper in a day or paper towels in a day. Um, you, you don't need that Jersey um, in a day, but if you do, there's the opportunity to do it. You just have to pay for it. You know? So it's um, I think that's the difference is the sports fan is really passionate, but I think they're also understanding on, on delivery timeframes. Uh, compared to kind of the Amazon shopper. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, unless you're October 30th and you've thought of a last minute Halloween costume, right? That's right. Chances are you probably don't need it the next day. Right. Um, you know, last thing as, as we, as we finish uh, the episode, what's one thing that, you know, from, from the other side, right outside of sports, whether it's Navy, biz, you know, business at Amazon, you know, your time at Florida, what's one thing that you've learned that you've kind of carried throughout your entire career, regardless of where you've worked, uh, that our listeners could learn from? Um, I think it goes back to the beginning. It's, um, it, do you care about people? Uh, and are you authentic? Um, and are you vulnerable uh, with your team? And I think if you are, uh, people will want to work with you, uh, alongside you, and for you. And what you'll get is their best effort um, to kind of help you succeed, the organization succeed. And, and people can tell whether you're authentic or not and whether you genuinely care about them uh, and what they're doing. So I think that's what it, no matter what you're doing in your life, um, and that can be personal or professional, it's, uh, it all comes down to how you treat people and how much you value people. And um, yeah, I think that's the thing I've learned over time through, through, you know, the Navy taught me that in a big way. Um, Amazon, I started to learn quickly, like, um, you know, I could be highly successful if the people um, that worked for me uh, were moving in a kind of unified direction. And they typically did that when they knew I cared about them, they would give that extra effort. Uh, and I've definitely learned that at Fanatics. Um, People, whether it's peers or people who work for you, always give a little extra because they know that you genuinely care. No, that's awesome. And I know the, the takeaway from today is, is certainly uh, passion, people, process. So uh, Lonnie, 
can't thank you enough. Appreciate your time. Thanks for participating in this series with the University of Florida Sports Management Program, Sports Business Insights from the Gator Nation. Uh, appreciate it and looking forward to having you on in the future. Thanks, Jake. It's been fun. I appreciate it.